0: That's ljsinnercircle.com, or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. One of my jazz mentors once said that the secret that pro-level jazz musicians have, some of the best jazz musicians in the world, is they've mastered the art of practicing. In fact, he went on to say that... Pro jazz musicians spend just as much time fine-tuning their actual practice as they do their actual jazz playing. And so today I want to talk about a strategy called PBR practice, elements of practice sessions that will help set you up for success and jumpstart your playing and help it improve a lot faster than it would otherwise. Let's do it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host... He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. If this is your first time, you've tuned into a good one because one thing that I really believe in, and we really believe a lot in here at Learn Jazz Standards, is that practicing is the machine the engine that drives all the results in your musical improvement. And a lot of times we'd like to focus on the sexier things, if you will, like what cool altered ideas I can play over dominant seventh chords, or what kind of altered chord progressions and chord substitutions can I use over jazz standards, and kind of flashy things like that, which are all really good things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like I said in the intro, Pro-level jazz musicians are working just as much on the elements of their actual practicing as they are their musicianship and the things that they're trying to improve at. So if we believe that, if we believe that practicing is the machine that is driving all the results in our improvement as a jazz player, this episode is super, super important for you to tune into because, again, I'm talking about my PBR practice strategy. Now, I introduced this practice strategy at our recent inner circle retreat which by the way it was an only invite for our inner circle members so check out the inner circle if you've never done it before because there's all kinds of cool things that kind of come up that you probably wouldn't ever know about i just want to share a small part of a master class that i had given during that retreat um, in an effort to just kind of Open your mind to this idea of this PBR practice, because I do believe it'll be immensely valuable for you. So let's dive in to what PBR practice is. So again, let's reiterate that the best jazz musicians in the world have mastered the art of practicing and are continuously improving this skill. So what if shedding our practicing was just as important as shedding our instrument, and so that's where the PBR practice comes in. And PBR, no, it does not stand for the beer PBR. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend drinking while practicing, um, but it is an acronym, obviously. P-B-R, each one of those letters stands for something. And it's only three so that hopefully you remember it. And if, by the way, if the beer thing actually does help you remember this, that's exactly why I made that parallel just now. So P. For PB and PBR stands for planned. Okay. A good practice session or a good practice series of sessions is always planned. Okay. So when we're thinking about planning a practice session, it goes without saying that we need to have had some kind of project that we're working on. And one thing that we also really talk a lot about, especially in our inner circle, is having projects. We also like to talk a lot about doing monthly projects because having one project a month is kind of a sustainable way to practice. For example, in the inner circle, as some of our members will obviously already know, the main thing we do is we learn one new jazz standard a month. And of course, there's multiple different things we can do as far as learning that jazz standard outside of the melody and the chord changes. So we need to think a little bit about exactly what we are trying to accomplish, what the task is at hand, whether it's learning a new jazz solo or whatnot. So let's talk about a few different options we have for planning out a practice session and understanding exactly what we should be practicing. So a couple episodes ago, I talked about the art of taking bad jazz solos, which BAD, again, was an acronym, B-A-D. stands for Brave, Audited, and Directional. And the second part of that was audited. The second letter is audited. Audited means that you're listening back to a recording of your solo and you're asking two questions. What did I love and what did I not like about this? Then you're being very specific about what those things are. And then you may pick one of the things that you like to double down on, or one of the things that you're not so good at to really focus your attention on, right? So what you actually plan to practice could be what your audited solo tells you, right? Because at the end of the day, that's really what we constantly want to be doing to improve at jazz quickly, is constantly be looking at where our playing stands today from an honest assessment and making a little pivot or a project or some kind of strategy in place that will help us improve upon whatever that thing happens to be that we're either already good at or we need some help in a certain department such as technique or playing the chord changes, right? So that could be one element of planning. The second element is what we were talking about with the projects. What steps are needed to finish your project? And we'll talk a little bit in a second about how to get granular about that. But we want to think about that. We always want a project going on and we want to plan in such a way that we are always accomplishing steps that will help us achieve that project. Another thing that we need to consider when planning our practice is how much time do we have to practice? This is something I hear from a lot of people is they don't have enough time to practice. And so sometimes that leads them to the conclusion that therefore they cannot improve at their jazz playing or they cannot work on such and such thing because it will take too much time. However, when you plan your practice and you understand how much time you actually do have to practice, suddenly it doesn't matter as much if you only have 30 minutes to practice, because all you need to do is adjust your plan so that you will actually improve within those 30 minutes, right? So that is one element of planning. What you're going to practice depends on how much time you have, because you probably will only focus on one thing if you have 30 minutes to practice. If you have an hour or more, you may focus on a couple of different things, but if we don't go into the practicing understanding that element or understanding what we can do with the time we have, probably we're going to end up just noodling and not doing much of anything. And the other element of planning that we can ask ourselves is what are the highest leverage activities that I can possibly do to improve? So when I say highest leverage, I mean the things that in general will improve your jazz playing the most and things that specific to you will improve your jazz playing the most. So, for example, in general... I 100% guarantee that if you learn one jazz standard a month, or at least are regularly learning jazz standards, you have no choice but to improve because the jazz the jazz standards will teach you everything you know, need to know about how to play. And of course, they are the contexts in which we improvise. And so the more familiar you are with those contexts, the easier jazz and jazz improvisation and jazz bass lines and jazz comping is going to get over time. So that's a high leverage activity is learning a jazz standard. Okay. Now, on the other side of things, what's a high leverage activity specific to you? So, for example, if you have discovered that, let's say you are a piano player, that when you learn new voicings over top of jazz standards and you really explore things and you learn Bill Evans stuff and you learn Winton Kelly and you practice your shells, that this really actually helps your improvisation because As you learn a new voicing, a new way to voice lead perhaps from one chord to the next, you can actually see a new way of improvising over top of those chords. It just connects in your brain and it works for you. It's what I like to call light bulb moments. You notice that this particular activity that you do usually yields some kind of result or positive energy when you're practicing. So for you, that would be a high leverage activity. For me, for example, a high leverage activity is composing jazz solos. For some reason for me, and I don't think it's for some reason, it's for a good reason and it works for a lot of people, is when I slow the improvisation process down and focus on what I actually would love to do over top of some sets of chord changes somehow it actually seeps into my playing a lot easier later because A, it's confirming what I already know about jazz and jazz language and playing over chord changes, and B, it allows myself to get a little extra creative and stretch in some directions I normally wouldn't. Then I go about memorizing that solo, and that kind of information, the stuff that I've come up with, is more likely to come out in my playing later than simply just learning jazz solos from other people and expecting it to come out just organically that way. Right. So for me, a high leverage activity would be composing my own jazz solos. But again, it really depends on what it is for you. And so you want to be thinking about that. And by the way, when you audit your jazz solos, when you find something that you're really good at already that you really like, that could possibly be a high leverage activity. Like I'm really good, for example, at comping. Like comping just works for me. I'm a guitar player and I find that the better I get at comping and voice leading with my chords, again, like the piano example I just gave the more I'm able to actually see those patterns emerge on my instrument and it helps me connect the language I'm hearing in my head to my instrument. So that is a high leverage activity for me personally. Okay. So, Again, planning is super important. We want to make sure that our practice sessions are planned. And yes, I do think it's a good idea to plan them ahead of time before you actually practice. I find, for example, just this is have to do with music, but when I'm going about my work week, I have a Google Doc. It has my weekly goals on it where I write down what I want to get done by the end of the week. And then I have a little section that says today. And I have bullet points with exactly what I need to do. And this helps me be way more efficient. Helps me know that I'm actually accomplishing something. It kind of stimulates the reward centers in my brain. And that planning helps me actually accomplish what I'm doing instead of kind of getting spread out thin and going all over the place and getting lost and wondering if I actually accomplish something or not, or if I need to go deeper into something. So writing down, obviously, even though it's kind of uh, a tired thing to say, like, Everybody says, write down your goals and stuff and write down what you do, but it really truly does work. And so I do recommend writing down your planning of your practice sessions. If you're someone who does want to take your jazz playing to the next level and believes that practicing is the machine that will reap the musical results for you. Okay, so that's P, that's planned. B in PBR practice stands for batched. B stands for batched. Now, batching is something that we use a lot in our inner circle programs. So batching the concept is kind of simple here. So imagine for a second that there's a whole pizza. You've just ordered a whole pizza. It's come to your door. It's sitting on your table. And let's just say you're having a particularly gluttonous moment, right? Or you just plan on eating this whole pizza over the course of, let's say, seven days, and you take that piece of that whole pizza and you slice it up into, for example, seven pieces or eight pieces. Now, batching would be like, I ate one piece of pizza today and tomorrow I'll eat the second one and the third one and the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, until, of course, I finally have finished that pizza. That's just the simplest way of understanding batching from the foodies perspective, which is very much so a perspective that uh, I engage in. So. um, Again, that's a silly analogy. Why would you make a goal of eating a whole pizza just for the sake of doing it? But again, it's kind of like we were looking at our project that we just talked about. For example, learning a new jazz standard or learning a solo over top of a jazz standard or fill in the blank of what kind of project, composing your own jazz solo, for example. Anything that you want to accomplish that you know is a high leverage activity for your jazz playing, you can break that up into pieces. So that practice session number one is a subset that will help you reach to your goal. Remember we talked about in the planning phase that, yeah, we have to know what we're going to do in that very practice session. And so in that very practice session, it might look like I learn four bars of Hank Mobley solo on the jazz standard, this I dig of you, right? Because you're learning the jazz standard, this I dig of you. So you're not learning the whole solo or half of the solo or any of that, or even the whole one chorus of the solo. You're just learning four bars because the next practice session, you'll learn the next four bars. And then third practice session, you might review the first eight bars, and then you'll move on until eventually you've learned that entire chorus of Hank Mobley's solo, right? So this is what batching is. And I highly recommend implementing this strategy. This is what we use in all of our programs because it's proven to work. It's proven, once again, to stimulate the reward centers of your brain. You're constantly feeling like you're accomplishing something. You constantly feel like you're improving. And indeed, you are actually working towards finishing a project. It's basically one person in our inner circle retreat said it this way. Basically, it's project management 101. And in a way, if you want to take your jazz playing to the next level and you're serious about this concept of practicing being the engine, then you kind of do have to get more granular on this. You have to get a little bit more focused on the way that you're actually accomplishing your practicing, which is just project management in this case, right? We're batching so that we're able to accomplish a bigger goal, smaller, too larger. That's the way we grow and we build on our goals that will improve our jazz playing. Okay. So batching is really a helpful skill that I would encourage you to consider when you are planning and working on your practice sessions. Okay. So that's P is planned. B is batched and R is regular. R is regular practice. Okay. So The goal is not to practice more than you already have time for. I want to say that right up front. In fact, this is one of the first things I say to our inner circle members who join. I always say, hey, just because you joined this fancy, cool jazz membership, right, does not mean that you need to make more time to practice, right? Because the problem here is we're not looking for more practice for the sake of practicing more because if we practice more, we'll improve faster. What we're looking for instead is sustainable practice. Sustainable practice is much more important because one of the biggest killers of jazz improvement over time is loss of motivation. Once we lose our motivation to pick up our instrument, to practice, to play, to be excited about the genre of jazz and so on and so forth. That's when my friends, we hit plateaus. That's when we quit. That's when we don't improve at all. So we're constantly trying to set ourselves up to win every single time in our practice sessions. And so sustainability is far greater than the amount that we're actually practicing. So what does regular practice and sustainable practice look like? Well, it simply looks like, look at the amount of time you have to practice already and stick with what that is. So for example, it let's just say that you have three times out of the week to practice, right? And you only have 30 minutes to practice three times a week because you have a busy life, busy schedule, like many people. So the most important thing, it's not even as important that you always practice on Monday or Wednesday or Friday. What's more important is that you practiced three times a week, right? And so that might change week to week, depending on what your schedule is. And perhaps one time you're able to practice for an hour and another time you're only able to practice for 15 minutes, but then another week you're able to practice an hour, three times a week. It doesn't matter as much amount the amount of time to practice as long as the planned and the batched thing is already happening. It's more about the regular interval. So in language learning, there's this concept called spaced repetition. So spaced repetition is kind of plays out like this. You hear a new piece of vocabulary, a word, and you'll practice it for a little bit, but then you may not practice or hear it again for another 10 minutes, but it'll come back to you and you go like, oh, that's right. Basically, you're jogging your memory. And then maybe it'll be like a day since you've heard that word. But then as you're learning other words, suddenly that word will be thrown back into the mix again. And essentially, you're going back into your subconscious. You're going back into your memory and pulling it back up front again. And it's this that helps create a long-term memorization Or understanding of a new piece of vocabulary. And so similarly, when we're practicing regularly and sustainably, that's kind of what's happening. It's like, yes, we're not practicing for an hour or two hours at a time. We might be practicing for 30 minutes, but the thing that we're practicing in those 30 minutes, as long as we're hitting it again or building upon that in a somewhat regular interval, then we are bringing that constantly to the forefront. We're more likely to have these ideas come out organically in our solos, improve our technique, all the things that we need to do to become better musicians and certainly better jazz musicians. So regular practice is the most important thing. And I want to emphasize one other thing with this is I kind of insinuated here that we don't need to get super legalistic about when we're practicing and how we're practicing. We don't have to get like super in the weeds of like, I have to practice on Saturday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. If that works for you, that's totally fine. I personally, for myself, find that the more rules I create for myself, the worse I feel when I break those rules. And so that's why I, I like the idea more of... This regular practice and perhaps committing to the amount of times per week you would practice, right? Of course, being realistic about what that could be, then actually saying I have to practice on this day at this time, because if we're again setting our practicing up for failure or setting ourselves up to feel demotivated that we weren't able to accomplish something, then we're not helping ourselves out with the psychological side of practicing. Okay. So, in totality, we have P is planned practice, B is batched practice, and R is regular practice. Now again, this is pretty high level stuff here, right? It's pretty high level stuff. We could get way more in the weeds, and again, in our inner circle retreat, we did get super super I mean it was probably the it was probably the most nerdy event about jazz practicing that's ever existed it was like a ton of fun and so we're not going to go into the weeds on that with this particular podcast episode but if you're thinking about your practicing going forward with the pbr method planned batched and irregular it's going to set your practicing up for far more success than perhaps you are experiencing right now again this long-term vision of practicing this way and i'm when i say long-term i mean Start with three months of practicing this way and then see if you can do six months of practicing this way and then see if you can do one year of practicing this way. And then at that one year mark, look back, perhaps listen to a recording of yourself now and then later and I have a feeling that you're going to hear some serious better results because you spent time fine tuning the machine that is generating musical results for you, which is your practicing. All right, my friends, thanks for listening. That's all for today's show. Do appreciate it. Make sure you take action on today's episode. Really want you to start seeing results in your playing and action is super, super important. And as always, if you need help taking action and improving your jazz playing this year, then getting help is really an important thing to do. I find that the more help I get in my life as far as my business, as far as my musicianship, as far as my physical... Health, as far as my mental health, I just find that it improves things all around and it takes a lot of stress off of reaching goals in different areas of my life. So, if one of your goals is to improve your jazz playing, to have more fun playing your instrument, which should obviously always be the goal, then think about joining us in the LJS Inner Circle membership. The Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle is an amazing community of musicians playing all sorts of instruments. Like I said, we learned one new jazz standard together, and we also have lots of courses on anything that you might need to fill in the gaps with your musical knowledge on. We do live Q&As every single month, and it's just a good environment to get help to make things feel easier, all right? So you can find that in the description, uh, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can go to ljsinnercircle.com is also where you can check out the membership, see if it's a good fit for you. And um yeah, that's it. So we're gonna see you in another great episode of the podcast next week. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzstandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter.